0: We want to welcome everyone here to Answering Religious Era as we begin our live Bible Q&A, and we thank you for sending in your questions. We have quite a few good ones to start off with today, but if you have a live question, uh, you are welcome to post that on our Facebook page or the YouTube page if you are watching a shared page. We won't be able to see any comments that you might make, uh, so just keep that in mind when you are posting. We again want to welcome you to the live Bible Q&A every Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern time, if you have questions for a future show, please uh, send those into questions at answeringreligiouserror.com, and we'll add those to the lineup. We also have a section we call Meme Time. So if you see a meme out there, it's anti-religious, anti-Bible, anti-God that gives you some kind of a, you know disturbance, send that to us, and we'll consider that for our Meme Time and discuss that as we are answering religious error. Uh, Much of it is being thrown around today in the form of what we used to call tweets and memes and quick ways to take jabs at God's word. We also want to invite you to be with us for our live study on Tuesday afternoons. That's Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Uh, Right now we're going through a series of individual lessons. And for the past two weeks, I've been discussing the purpose of the Holy Spirit. I have one more lesson to cover in that series, and that will be part three on December 26th. So tune in next Tuesday, if you will, and uh, join me for that study there. But remember that in January, we're going to begin a new study from the book of Ephesians, where the Mark Dunnigan has prepared some material for us. And we're looking forward to a good 12, 13 week study of uh, going through the epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. We're going to learn a lot about uh, our relationship to Christ through the church. And so we hope that you'll join us for that beginning in the new year. Want to remind you, of course, to start your day with the Daily Answer podcast. Again, Brother Mark Dunnigan has shared with us, I think, up to 337, if I counted correctly, lessons up to this point. So if you're behind, you got a lot of catching up to do, but it only takes 15, 20 minutes of your morning as early as 5 a.m. And that's just Monday through Friday. So tune in to the Daily Answer podcast. If you're a podcast listener, you know how to do it. If you're not, uh, send us an email. We'll be happy to give you instructions as to how to access that, maybe through Spotify or Amazon or Apple. Uh, there are many different uh, podcast platforms that you can utilize. And uh, in just a little while, we're going to meet Bob by hand. He has a program on Monday nights called Bob's Bible Basics. And then, of course, on Thursdays, there's Older Women Likewise, a show for women by women. And you'll be encouraged by the godliness and faith of women that are instructing uh, the younger women. So again, we want to welcome everyone here. Let's bring up our panel today. We have Mark Dunnigan with us, Bob Myhan that I mentioned a moment ago, Terry Benton, Nick Greeman's with us today, and Brian Haynes is back with us as well. Good to see all you guys today. Looking forward to sitting at your feet, uh, listening at these uh, at, for your answers uh, to these Bible questions. And uh, before we do, though, Uh, Let's begin with a prayer. Uh, Nick Greenman, would you mind wording that prayer for
1: us today? Let's pray together. Our Holy Father in heaven, we come before your throne. Grateful for this opportunity to reach so many people through this medium called the internet and live streaming. We pray, Father, that we will use these tools available to glorify you and to broaden the borders of your kingdom. We pray that we will bring some Knowledge and understanding of your scriptures to those who are curious to learn more about who you are We pray father that you will be with those of our brethren across the world who may not have the opportunities as we do We pray for their safety their protection, especially in hostile areas. We're grateful father for All the things that you've given us here. We pray that we through this new holiday season do not lose sight of faithfulness and righteousness in a world consumed with materialism. We ask, Father, that we will remember that these gifts are from you and that we are to enjoy our lives, but not at, the, not at the point of losing sight of who you are and what is most important. We're grateful, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this world and died for us. We pray that we will never take for granted the salvation offered to us through him and We pray that we will always be eager to share it to others and so that they can be reconciled unto you, have their sins washed away and to be in fellowship with your children, our brethren. And Father, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Nick, for that prayer. Uh, again, this is the live Bible Q&A. We want to thank everybody for joining us today. And we have uh, some of our regular listeners, of course, uh, from all over the world, folks from New Mexico, all the way over in England. Uh, and I uh, just want to thank everybody uh, for joining us. And so uh, let's go ahead and begin with a segment that we call "Meantime." Our meme today um, comes from the words of, um, well, there are a few things wrong with this particular meme, not only the message, but uh, comes from a quote unquote, Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor. Uh, She is uh, very prominent uh, in the Episcopal movement, I believe. And um, uh, she says, the only clear line I draw these days is this, when my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, i will choose my neighbor jesus never commanded me to love my religion
2: discuss well it's just full of uh, mis- misconceptions and uh, and it always kind of uh, bothers me that people throw around this word religion in a way that's really not true to the scriptures um James chapter one, verse 27 says that pure religion is this. Uh, and he goes on to talk about uh, visit the fatherless and the with- widows. That's religion. So whatever responsibility I have to my neighbor, that is my religion. So I, I, I don't, uh, I don't get this. People having a category that they're calling religion and you can, Dismiss it, and I'm gonna we'll practice this over here. Uh, this is my this is my behavior, and this is my principle. But it has nothing to do with my religion. No, you either have pure religion, or you have impure religion. But you're gonna have religion. So so this whole thing is just a a, a misconception of terminology, misconception, uh, co- misconception of what religion is. You can't love your neighbor without practicing your religion. That's what you're, and it's either you're going to treat your neighbor in a pure way or you're going to treat them in an impure way. You're going to love God in a pure way or you're going to treat God in an impure way. But you're going whatever you practice, that's your religion, whether it's pure or impure, but there's no other, there's no other cat, a category for you. So when she says that the only clear line I draw in uh, these days is when my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, that sounds almost like idolatry that her neighbor is more important than God because you've got to, you've got to prioritize and God is first. I love him above everything else. I love my neighbor as myself, but I don't love them on the same level as I do God. So uh, whichever way you practice it, you're either going to come out with a pure way of practicing religion or an impure way. And it sounds like uh, she's coming out with an impure religion. Those are my thoughts.
3: Yeah. You know, Terry makes a good point. There's so many things wrong with this quote, uh, Chris, is that, you know, um, Jesus never commanded me to live my religion. Well, wait a minute. James says your religion is what you do. Okay, Your religion is love the fatherless, keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's pure religion. Religion is what you do, and those are commands of God. So observing the commands of God is pure religion. And Jesus said, if you'll love me, you'll keep my commandments. So that there is a sense that Jesus clearly did say, the way you express your love to me is that you obey what I taught you. And that should be your religion. That should be what you practice. That should be what guides your life. In fact, in the Psalms, we have the Psalm say, oh, how I love thy law. Okay. Yeah, I love God and, and I love God's law. Those are two things that cannot be separated. When she talks about drawing lines, I'm assuming she's talking about like drawing lines of fellowship. Okay. Is what she's saying. And it looks like what she is saying is that if she's in the Episcopal church is what she's saying is if. If, if the church or the Bible teaches, like, that my neighbor is in sin or something, okay, I'm going to choose my neighbor. And, you, you know, it's interesting. Her, her false distinction here is that it just seems that she's saying, I have a religion, Chris, that prevents me from loving my neighbor as I should at times. <laughs> and I'm going, if that's your religion, you need to get rid of that. Because Christianity never per- prevents you from loving your neighbor as you should. All, all All the commands in the Bible that deal with personal relationships grow out of the great command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what I think she's saying, Chris, what I think she's saying is that if I have a neighbor and they're doing something that the Bible condemns, I don't want to address that. And so I will elevate them. That is, I'm not gonna do what's in their best spiritual interest. I'm 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 gonna keep that person as like I'm not gonna tell them anything, and we'll just keep a friendship that's light. Not only that, Chris, but I really seriously doubt if she practices what she wrote here. For example, if if I say, Hey Barbara, let's get together and let's have dinner, okay, and stuff like that. And at dinner, she finds out like. I'm against abortion because it's the murder of innocent life. And I tell her, you know, the Bible does condemn homosexuality in passages like First Corinthians chapter six very clearly. And guess what? There really is only one church, the true church in the Bible, and all these denominations are not it. Is she Chris? Is she gonna choose me? <laughs> is she gonna choose me over her religion in that scenario? and i'm thinking she's probably not going to want to get together with me for dinner ever again and not want to have me as a friend so to me they're just to, this this sounds really good on a superficial level of tickling your ears but as you dig into it it's going like man there's so many things wrong with this meme but i think there's a lot of people that go like oh yeah oh yeah until it's like well what are you talking about though what are you talking about here Loving your neighbor is always to treat them in their best eternal interest. And that means if they're in sin, that you help them see that. Those are my thoughts, Chris. Well,
0: that's one of the things that you find among people today in society is they are trying to override the rest of the Bible by saying, well, I'm just doing good for my neighbor, which means love everyone. And I think what they're saying on the underlying all of these things is they're just going to accept everyone. They don't want to call anybody in sin. They don't want to call out uh, the woes of society and uh, just, you know, it's live and let live kind of mentality. It's, a you know, that hippie type mentality, which was, you know, to a select particular group (laughs) many, a couple of generations ago, but today it's, it's what religion has gotten themselves into. And, you know, you mentioned James just a moment ago and, uh, just to kind of put another passage up on the screen, and kind of came to my mind that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. And he mentions a couple of things that tie directly into loving our neighbor. You know, visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Keep oneself unspotted from the world. These are the characteristics of what religion is to be. But religion does not exclude the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Religion does not exclude our obedience to God. But see, here's the thing. In our society today, everyone's trying to make God out to be the meanie and he's wrathful and he's judging and so on and so forth. And you hear it all the time. I hear it from religious people. And though this quote is supposed to be from a quote unquote religious person, that's exactly uh, what we are dealing with in our society today. Uh, The devil, uh, from an ungodly standpoint, of course, is very wise in how he is, um, you know, in our face with false teaching and uh, doctrine that stands against God. Uh, Brian, you have a comment?
4: Um, I'll step in front of Nick here for a second, just to say. Um,
0: Sorry about that. That was my fault. A little bit of a
4: background, Barbara Brown Taylor, uh, you know, I, I looked her up whenever I saw this was going to be our mean, and she is a prominent figurehead for a movement called deconstruction. Um, the idea of people saying, I don't like the church and I don't like the Bible and I'm going to, Pull off, take it apart, and just find what I like about Christianity, which is not going to be much. Um, so uh, I, I would want somebody to know if you saw that meme and you said, "Wow, you know that's you know provocative or something." I would want you to know. And I think one of our commentators, uh, one of the our listeners, I forget who it was, was it Tim, caught right away with the Reverend business that this is not somebody who takes things seriously uh, when it comes to the way of God. Whenever, whenever God very specifically said, "Don't don't take titles like that." But I would want people to understand that this movement of deconstruction even even hits former members of the church. Um, and if you've heard people talking about that, that's one of those code words that they'll use, deconstructing my faith or something like that. What it is, it's just an intellectual
5: way of saying I quit. So Nick.
1: Uh, you know, something uh, interesting, if we want to continue this study just a little bit, Luke chapter 10 offers some uh, maybe some interesting commentary. Uh, Luke chapter 10, of course, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. You had the priest, you had the Levite who saw this man who was half dead and they went by on the opposite side of the street and went on up to Jerusalem. Uh, someone could maybe make the argument that uh they didn't know whether or not he was dead, and of course, a priest was not authorized to touch a dead body. And so he's like, "Well, I can't, I can't uh, uh, remove myself from the service of of the temple work and the in the city of Jerusalem by touching a dead body." And so I'm just going to pass on by the other side. But it was the Samaritan who was more neighborly because he gave care and nurture to uh, to the person who was beaten and half left for half dead. And and so the, the message, of course, is you know you know who was neighbor to him who had fallen and and that's the lesson to us that we should be neighborly uh, we should have that desire to to and have that compassion on our neighbor uh, but not to the exception of uh, breaking the commands of God, you know, that's, that's not the, that's not the intent. And, and there was a mechanism, uh, you know, through the law, uh, if the priest wanted to use it to, to become purified, you know, that mercy over sacrifice kind of thing, you know, and, and so there's certainly some conversation that we could have. Uh, but as, as has been pointed out, does this Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor really want to have a legitimate conversation or she's just trying to make some flash in the pan comments to uh this really has no substance you know it's it's unfortunate that's where a lot of people are uh but to have a legitimate conversation on this we could you know like how how do we balance you know because if i were to see somebody on the side of the road in trouble as i'm headed to church to be the preacher for the day uh do i just skip that person and so i can uh, fill my pulpit spot or do I stop and and uh, help that person out of their dire situation? Well, personally, I'm probably going to stop and up that person out of the dire situation because their life might be dependent upon it, you know? Uh, and so that's, you know, I can see that's where the conversation can go. Uh, but still uh, what she's trying to say is, is that, uh, you know, the commandments uh, and, and exposing sin is is not what we should be doing as christians and that's totally false uh what more life-saving thing can i do uh than save somebody from their sins and expose the unfruitful works of darkness that's what we're expected to do but unfortunately the world doesn't like that anymore
0: all right uh some good comments then be made today regarding these things we have to remember that all through the bible we are taught to love the law of the lord uh psalm chapter 97 or psalm chapter 119 verse 97 and uh, that's always been one of my favorite rallying cries there just to show the appreciation and respect that we should have toward uh and we'll use that term religion you know that uh as we see it emphasized and shown in our lives as Christians, not just in what we read, but what we do and, and how we, how we live. So uh, I want to thank everybody for their input on that. And uh, sorry, I just, I have to put this one on screen just to kind of make a point there. Some people might say, well, that's not neighborly, (laughs) but uh, I certainly see the point uh, that our viewer has made here. And I, I do appreciate that thought. It is, A dangerous thing uh, to have somebody in your life that would lead you away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we've got a few questions to get to today. Let's start with one that was asked in our study uh, last week. Now, we'll bring this down, bring us back up, and this ties into the events that are soon coming. Uh, How do we handle them as Christians? But the question specifically deals with this. If Christians are not to observe Christmas, since it is not commanded in the Bible, what do you say to Christians who are quasi-observing it by doing acts relative to that season, such as singing songs related to the birth of Christ, having Christmas trees, greeting somebody, Merry Christmas, etc.? Who'd like to start?
2: Well, I'd start off saying that there are a lot of things that are associated now with the, the festivities around what we are, what has come to be called Christmas that are not religious in nature. That is, they are not, uh, all of my life, I guess, I I've been growing up with, uh, the festivities of the holiday and we, um, we get together and we exchange gifts and, um, we decorate, uh, but we don't decorate with uh, religious things. We don't put uh, manger scenes and that kind of thing, because I, I'm not uh, I'm not saying that everything associated with this season is religious in nature. Some things would be inherently religious in nature. Uh, there are a lot of so- secular things associated with it that are not. So that I could look at just about any of my neighbors and some of them might be atheists but they're still decorating and so they and they still have family get-togethers and they may even exchange gifts so i can't look at all of those things that that are involved in this season as necessarily a uh, a religious act that is i i'm doing this because i feel compelled by god uh to do this that i i'm I recognize God hasn't told us the birthday of Jesus, and he hasn't, especially uh, all indication that I've been able to determine is that it was probably not this time of year. So I, I recognize that some people have tried to push the birth of Jesus Christ into this time of year and make it Religious in nature to them. Now, their doing so doesn't make it religious necessarily yeah. to me and, uh, and to many others. So I look at the holiday as simply that it's different things to different people. And uh, if you ask different neighbors what this is, what this decoration means to them, that uh most likely, uh, many of them will say, well, it's just a good time of year. I just like the festivities. I like the decorations. And I like the time that we can get together with family. And then you'll look at another neighbor, and it's very religious to them. They they put it into the category that they believe Jesus, is, Jesus was born, uh, singing songs like Jesus was born on Christmas morning, you know, songs like that. I I wouldn't because that's not true. At least it's not true to me. And I I don't think it's really true to anybody. Uh, So there are some things that I will avoid because it's just not religious in nature to me. And it, and, and I don't want to give the impression that it is, but there are a lot of things that are secular, secular and are associated with it. And, and I do those things just because I enjoy it. I grew up enjoying it and, and I never saw anything religious that was connected to it, but I also see Romans chapter fourteen, that if if uh, uh, if you look at Romans fourteen, that here are some things that meant one thing to one brother, and it meant an entirely different thing to another brother, and so you 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 have to be uh, be aware of how you may af- be be affecting somebody else, and that doesn't mean. Uh, that if they if your if your brother doesn't like it that you can't do it, but that if you are going to draw them into the practice of something that's going to violate their conscience, then then by all means don't do that. But it doesn't mean uh, that that if it you know, that they get to impose their will on you or their ideas on you, it it, it just gives plenty of room for us to know that what we're doing is not with the same conscience that a that that another brother brings to the table and so you have to judge on the basis of how this may be affecting a brother in your circumstance i've never had that happen i've never had it happen that what i was doing caused another brother to stumble or for them to fall into sin so i've never had that but i'm just saying if there were, were such a circumstance, I'd, I'd certainly bring it into consideration and uh, adjust my uh, my actions accordingly. But Romans 14 does give you room for your conscience to be one way and another conscience not to be developed as well along as yours on that matter. And so I, that's where I would leave that, that issue of the Christ, Christmas uh, involvement and to what extent I'd, I'd look. Uh, I'd look at uh, everything considered and all the souls around you considered and am I drawing somebody into a sinful practice or something that actually violates their conscience? Am I doing that? Then I'd say, well, let's refrain from that then. Those are my thoughts. You know, I I don't know it can be legitimately said that
5: Christians are not to observe Christmas. uh, Some may take that position. I don't know. Uh, but I think some brethren have been unjustifiably judgmental of other, uh, of others because of what they were doing. For example, uh, the wife of a preacher I have known in the past, uh, hap- was teaching young children, um, December 25th happened the following uh, Sunday morning, uh, that year, and and in the classwork for the children, they just happen to be studying the birth of Jesus, and and so this person comes in and charges her with uh, attaching a religious significance to Christ- Christmas because she was teaching on the birth of Christ on on December twenty fifth, and but she hadn't even thought about it. It was she was just following the curriculum, and uh, but and I don't see how it can be wrong to teach on the virgin birth of Jesus Christ any day of the year. I don't see how it can be wrong to, uh, I don't think see how it can be wrong to preach on the resurrection of Christ on what is generally considered Easter Sunday. Uh, that doesn't mean that necessarily that we give uh, implicit approval to the practices of, of people as far as the things mentioned here in this question, there are things associated with Christmas by some that bother me a whole lot more, like drinking parties. I mean, there are people that, that will, will have drinking parties on on Christmas and, uh, and, and other things that uh, bother me much more because they're wrong in and of themselves. Uh, but I don't say I can be wrong to to meet together with the family on December 25th, or December 24th for that matter, and 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 enjoy one another's company because everybody's going to be off that year. It's a national holiday. Uh, most people do not have to work, some unfortunately uh, do, but most people I think are off on December 25th, and so they want to get together with their families and enjoy a, a good repast of ham and turkey and uh, 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 potato salad and and dressing and uh, so anyway, uh, there are a lot of things associated with Christmas that have no religious significance at all, and even some things that might have some religious significance don't necessarily, in and of themselves, make it wrong. It depends on whether there's an intended connection. For example, singing "Joy to the World" on Sunday morning if it's the twenty-fifth. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't view that as a celebration of a, of a human national holiday. I, I think it's just reminding. By the way, uh, I was teasing one song leader at a congregation because he led "Joy to the World" in June uh, or something. I said, "No, that's a Christmas song," but I was just teasing him, and he said, "No, we don't sing that on Christmas," <laughs> and certainly that's a song that we can sing anytime even on december 25th but uh again i think there needs to be a great deal of tolerance involved here and and make sure that we are not judging people unjustly on whatever they do on or around december 25th this year uh but try to uh give people benefit of the doubt and uh but if they start judging me because i don't celebrate it as a religious holiday that would be wrong and uh and so uh, you know nothing wrong with buying presents to one and for the one another i used to say well why buy presents for me if it's not my birthday uh and i asked two people i said well do you (laughs) uh do you bake Jesus a birthday cake? Well, two people did—a uh, niece and and a, and a and a boss at that time that I had. They both had the practice of baking Jesus a birthday cake. And my boss asked him, well, does Jesus get the first slice?" He said, "Well, if he wants it." And uh, and so I think some things you know go a little far, but I can't I can't judge him uh, as being wrong because it's simply a tradition that he and his family follow.
0: Excellent points and of course you know the main distinction that we make of course is the fact that individually there are a lot of things that we do that we do not practice as as the church, you know the church is not authorized to add something of that nature to their worship god uh, never uh, you know deemed it uh, an act of worship. Uh, in fact, it was just kind of something that kind of built over the period of time. I'm not here to get into the, you know, I guess the, the arguments that people make sometimes against Christmas in general. They say, well, it was originally a pagan holiday. Well, Santa Claus isn't real. Well, it wasn't December 25th. Yeah, all those things are true. But those aren't the reasons why we don't celebrate Christmas as Jesus' birthday, it's not authorized in scripture. Um, I don't get, you know, I don't really get all bent out of shape by certain details. Um, and of course, if somebody is led astray by certain things, I will correct them. I correct people if they say that, you know, Eve ate of an apple on the tree of knowledge of good and he was like, well, wait a minute now, we don't know what kind of ap- uh, we don't know what kind of fruit that she actually ate. And those little things you can just kind of pick up along the way, but I'm not going to condemn somebody's soul, uh, for, you know, misunderstanding you correct them and you, and you move on. Uh, but yeah, there are a lot of things that we could say in regard to our daily lives that, um, you know, have some questionable origins and things like this. I mean, I don't know what day uh, as far as the day of the year that Jesus died upon the cross, but I do know um, that I am commanded in scripture to partake of the Lord's supper, remembering and uh, you know, committing that to my mind, thinking of the covenant relationship that I have with God every. First day of the week, as the early Christians did. So we have them for a pattern, you see. And uh, so yes, we we do need to make some distinctions, be careful about what we bind upon others as well. So what might be permitted in my individual life from things that I might do uh as a as a God-fearing person. And certainly, as uh, Brother Bob had pointed out, um, you know, we we preach Jesus birth. We we preach about those events and um, you know sometimes we need to take the opportunity around this time of the year to to preach the truth of the matter as so many are not preaching the truth of the matter there are a lot of things i don't again not to get hung up on things nativity scenes are depicted in wrong ways i mean you look at the wise men always being there at the birth of jesus they weren't at the birth of jesus they they came uh, when Jesus was a bit older, when they were in a house, maybe within a two-year period. There are a lot of little details like that that the Bible does teach us. So let's not learn our birth of Jesus by a nativity scene or by a movie that somebody's put out there or by a holiday song. Let's learn about the birth of Jesus through the through the word of God. So it's something we could talk about all day. Any other comments you uh, brethren would like to make before we move on?
3: Yeah, uh, Chris. You know it's interesting mm-hmm. when you. Um, this is one of those areas where I think sometimes when if people say I'm not going to observe it in any sense at all, it, it you need to make sure that you're sending the right message, because I know in years past, for a while we really didn't celebrate it any way at all, and people got the idea I was a Jehovah Witness. That was not the message <laughs> that I that I wanted to send. Also, you might send the you might unfortunately send the message that you don't believe in Jesus and that you're opposed to Christianity. So we need to be clear about the message that we're sending. Also, when it comes to things like decorating a Christmas tree, there may have been a period in history among certain people where the tree meant something, you know, religious or whatever. But that doesn't mean that that taints decorating trees from then on. Um, There's nothing wrong with just putting ornaments on a tree. There's There's nothing inherently sinful about that. The other thing I'd like to say that the, the, the questioner would be like, what happens when people greet you? Like like to do this time of year when I'm about, they greet you with Merry Christmas. And I think what you realize that that's an opening, Chris, that's an opening to use. In fact, you know, when someone says that, when someone, they're giving you an opening into your life and you can say, well, you know, what are you doing? Are you, uh, are you cooking the meal? And I was at a little pizza hut the other night picking up a couple of pizzas. And I asked the guy, well, are you cooking the meal? And they said, well, no, I'm working eight to eight on Christmas Eve. And then I get the kids on Christmas Day. And I got a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a three-year-old. And that person just immediately opened up their life to me. And so this is, I don't know, I think we need to use these conversations better this time of year Often when someone says Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or something like that, they're not necessarily saying that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God or that they're observing it in a religious sense. There's an opening there that we have to ask people about their lives and what's going on in their life. There is an opening to invite them to services, you know, to ask them, so you believe in Jesus or would you like to study the Bible together? So... I I think we need to take advantage of those opportunities. And not only that, but when you ask people about, well, what are you guys doing? You're giving them a sense that somebody cares about my life and what's happening in my life. And so um, let's use those openings. And, And also there certainly is a place to sit down maybe with somebody and say, and just explain like, well, Christmas is not actually the historical birth of Christ, but I think that's down the road. Before we get there, we got a lot of other things that we need to talk to about people uh that concern their souls that I think are probably more pressing matters. Those are my thoughts.
0: Okay, do we have any other comments on regard to that?
4: All right. Just a quick comment. Uh the, the questioner <clears throat> the question itself is framed in a way that makes me wonder if it's worth considering that the questioner might not see a distinction between the work of the church and work of the individual Christian, or, you know, uh, that the church's authority for worship is, is you know, given very straightforward in the scriptures, and we're not going to add to that. We're not going to add extra days of celebration or things like that. But as individuals, we have more, we have a liberty, um, and uh, Terry brought up briefly Romans chapter 14, which speaks to the individual liberty that we have to celebrate different days, so I think, if, uh, although I don't want to spend much time on this, I just want to kind of point out that a question could be framed in a way that somebody is thinking, well, if the church doesn't have authority to do it, then I don't have authority to do it as an individual Christian either. Uh, let's let's make a distinction uh, between the work of the church and the work of the individual Christian and the liberty that an individual Christian might have to celebrate that. That's why all the men here, I think, have, agree, have said that you know, there is, this first statement is not true. Christians are not to observe Christmas. since is not commanded. in The Bible is not, doesn't actually follow the authority of scripture necessarily. Um, so I think it's important that we kind of make that uh, clear.
3: Brian, that's a great point because I think a parallel would be certainly the local church has no authority to like celebrate the 4th of July or decorate itself up or et cetera, or to celebrate Thanksgiving. That the local church the work of the churches to do that but clearly individuals clearly individuals are allowed to celebrate national holidays and i guess the other thing would be is that christmas is not the only national holiday with religious overtones definitely thanksgiving has some definite religious overtones as well
0: All right excellent comments then it's certainly a subject we could talk a lot about and there might be some clarification that the uh the person that asked the question wants to know more about certainly email us questions at answering religiousera.com. we'd be happy to study this issue a little bit further uh with you and uh, get down to some more uh, nitty-gritty aspects uh, of that we hope that our answers have been sufficient for you today Uh, but let's do go on to some other questions that uh, we have been given we have a couple of live questions today and we'd like to go ahead and cover those. Um, It was asked, what should a Christian do if he's won the lottery? Can he keep it and donate it to the church? Um, That's interesting. Okay. What are your thoughts, brother?
3: You know, and Chris, I'm not sure, culturally and worldwide, I'm not sure if all lotteries, like in America where I'm at, if you win the lottery, it means that you opted into it okay (laughs) or someone put your name in or or someone gave you a ticket or whatever but you and so i'm not sure if we're dealing with a culture here that as a citizen you're just automatically in the lottery so i'm not sure if that's what's kind of going on my thought would be is that the bible talks about it uh, ill-gotten gains do not profit and i think i i can see a lot of people going like yeah but man the local church could really use that money and do a lot of good with it but here's the thing with that comes a corrupting influence, and, and you don't realize it at the time, but with it comes a corrupting influence. And not only that, with it is going to come a lot of temptation, particularly if it's a large amount of money. So I, I can see where some people are looking at, boy, wouldn't it, it just be nice if a windfall came upon the local congregation and we could support multiple preachers and preachers of other lands, etc. okay. But in that same door or Pandora's box is going to come a lot of unintended consequences that you never considered. Greed, arguments over what to do with it, some complacency. Well, we got a lot of money in the bank now and et cetera. I just think, Chris, this is one of those things that I would say, man, you stay away from this because. That's a Pandora's box that you're gonna open up. And once you open it, I don't think you can control it. Those are just that's just my thought, uh, kind of on on that is that it's not the windfall you think it is.
2: Yeah, the lottery means you're uh, actually Yeah. The lottery Go ahead. the lottery means you're gambling. And gambling means that you're you're spending money of your own in order to purchase a chance that you may win at others' expense. Now, so what you have a picture here is, is that people, covetous people, are putting their own covetousness on the line. They don't really want you to have it. They want them to have it. Uh, themselves, So everybody's putting their greed on the line for a moment and hoping that uh, somebody that I will win somebody else's money. And some people in that pool of greedy people can't really afford it, but they're so covetous that they want to do that anyway. So so what is it, It's uh, a, an illustration of gambling to me is like russian roulette nobody wants to lose and everybody wants to win but somebody is going to lose in russian roulette the gamble is that this as i as i turn the chamber and spin it and then put it to my head put the gun to my head that i'm hoping that it's an empty chamber that clicks Uh, that's a gamble. That's, that's a risk, uh, based on foolishness. And it's a risk that I would not encourage anybody to ever play around with. Don't play around with that and don't play around with the sin of covetousness either, because the sin of covetous is not good to start with. You're trying, you're trying at somebody else's expense on their covetousness to win what they didn't really want you to win. They're not, they're not wanting you to freely have it. They're just hoping that they get it. instead of you. So everybody's playing this game of, uh, of material risk in the hopes that they'll be the winner this time. So I, I can't encourage that at all. I can't encourage gambling at all. So what do you do with it when you do it? Well, I, I'm not going to even let anybody know I did it to start with. So, uh, no, it's not going to go into the church because the church doesn't get its its money on the basis of ill-gotten gain, as Mark mentioned just a moment ago. Gain that you got at somebody else's expense when they didn't really want you to have that. It wasn't a trade-off of uh, of here's my my energy here's my time i've spent this and uh, i want you to be paid compensated for it gambling is a different matter it's playing on materialism just as life in russian roulette is played on the foolishness of uh, of demoting the um, the value of life so i would not encourage that at all those are my thoughts
4: a uh, quick comment, just to say, uh, to kind of use a, a different term to describe what Terry just said very well. Uh, uh, gambling, the, the issue that gambling creates, the reason we say it's a sin is it's theft by consent. Uh, the, just like, uh, you know, assisted suicide is still murder, even if the person is allowing you to do it. Uh, gambling is I'm taking somebody else's money. They don't want me to have, it. I'm not doing something to get it from them. We're all agreed, though, that one of us is going to walk away with that money. We're stealing that money from somebody else. And while there may be consent to do it, it's still stealing their money. It's not the chance. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, it's a gamble to plant a crop. You know, it's a gamble to do business. Well, it might be that there's a risk involved, uh, a potential for loss or profit, but it's not stealing something from somebody else and not giving them anything in return. It's not taking away and giving back. And that's the danger of gambling. So uh, to answer this question, I would look at it like um, somebody just robbed somebody else and they say, well, they're going to let me keep this money. So should I give it to the church? Or it's it's the way I would a- answer that question if somebody came to me and said, hey, I just stole this money. Um, I'm going to be able to keep it legally though. Uh, what do I do? Well, I wouldn't want to play around with
3: Brian, that's a great observation because Brian, wouldn't on this question, wouldn't that be the similar scenario? Or how about this: if someone said, "You know, I've been cheating people in business and making a profit and selling like shoddy goods and cetera. Can I give that to the church? Uh, I, 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 I've been, I've been out, um, I've been out. Uh, I don't know being a harlot or whatever, can I give my wages? (laughs) You know, could my I've been out dealing drugs. Can I give that money to the church? Um I I think that fits in the same scenario here as um and not only that, but if you told an eldership that, I think any eldership I would respect would say like absolutely not. We are we are not interested in that at at all. Great points, gentlemen.
0: There are a lot of lessons that we can learn about the dangers of gambling and um, not only from God's word, but from the world itself uh, In areas that have allowed gambling. I mean, the statistics are just astronomical in regard to the crime rates that have gone up, the suicide rates. Uh, Nevada has a very high suicide rate. Uh, some of the last numbers I have are actually about 30 years old and they were bad back then. I can only imagine the new numbers here, but. Uh the question was once asked who plays the lottery, and it was summed up with this statement. And, you know, the poor get poorer, the rich get richer. Uh government corruption uh is, is rampant in regard to you might say, well, you know, they do these programs to give to the schools and things like that, but yet somebody's getting rich off these things. Uh but the problem is that somebody's also getting poor. Um uh, Nick and I have a, a good friend and preacher of the gospel, uh, uh, Mike Pickford. And he once made the statement, the Christian ethic demands that we make our living by labor, not by luck, by work, not by wagering. And I appreciate that statement and the lesson that he did many years ago on this. When we think about uh, just the ethics of of gambling and how we gain our money. And yeah, do you want to bring and we'll just call it we'll just call this. Do you want to bring ill gotten gain and put it in the basket of church? Do you want to bring dirty money? And, and give it to God as though that blesses it and makes it all right. And so uh, those are things to consider uh, in regard to You cannot use the church as a, what do they call it, laundering? <laughs> launder your money through God to make it pure and acceptable in his sight. God knows where it's from. He wants that which is from the heart and of righteousness. Uh, any other comments then before we go on to our last question today?
3: You know, Chris, it just reminds me of David, the opposite of David. David said, I'm not going to offer to God something that costs me nothing. You know, what a contrast between this. And not only that, but God's not a beggar, Chris. I think sometimes people go, like, well, the church will, really, God's not a beggar. Book of Malachi makes it very clear. You offer to God a tainted sacrifice, and God's God is insulted by that. God is not someone that says, well, I'm not going to tell you what to yeah. Hey, don't tell me where the money come from. Just bring it here. You know, it is, it's, it's very worldly thinking to try to justify that. Those are my thoughts.
0: Sure. And we won't, we don't want to take advantage of others in order to, uh, you know, to take, uh, Ephesians 4, 28 says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands. What is good that he may have something to give to him who has needs. Uh, Second Thessalonians 310 for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And so there's a lot of principles about gambling that we have to consider. All right. All right. Uh, we have another question that was offered live today. And so uh, we've got some others that we are in the process of dealing with. There was a good question about the Holy Spirit that we talked about getting to next uh, or this week, but we'll get to that next week as I am kind of currently in a series about that question, and maybe we'll kind of tie in that into our study next Wednesday. Our next question was offered live in regard to Job, and the statement is made in Job chapter 42 and verse 6 where Job said, uh, I repent. I'd like to put that passage uh, up on the screen so that we can see the whole context of what Job is, is speaking of here. Verse 6 is where the question is asked originated. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. But let's go back to verse 1 for just a moment. In Job 42, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. How would you answer this, brethren?
1: Well, it's an interesting contrast because at the beginning in Job chapter 2 and in verse 10, it says in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So the question does come up, like, what did he have to repent of? You know, because we were told that he didn't sin. And and that was that was an interesting problem I had when I was first reading Job. I, I was just uh, just completely lost when I was reading. Uh, it seems like chapters 1 and 2 were easy to understand. And then uh, chapter 42, I guess, because it's all the narrative part. And then everything in between where you have all the poetry just makes it confusing. For me, it did at first. Uh, because I'd always had the perception that the friends were bad and Job was good, but then when I was reading what Job was saying in those in that poetry, I was like, What is he talking about? And then you read what the friends were saying, I think, Wow, they're saying some really cool stuff, you know. And so I was thrown for a loop through all of that. Uh, and and I think what it comes down to is, uh, Job is trying to make sense of what in the world is going on in his life because he had these, uh, these, uh, ideas and conceptions about who god was and and justice and 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 so generally speaking yes good things come to those who are righteous and bad things come to those who are not but then when you start looking at the world as the ecclesiastes writer begins to make observation of you know there there's going to be uh, certainly not everything is going to come out as as pleasant there's going to be some uh some vanity out there. Jesus would even say himself that the rain, that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And, and so in our lives, yeah, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And and we try to have to, we have to try to make sense of that. Uh, and, and that's what Job is doing. He's trying to make sense of it. And, and he is, uh, and of course we have, we have the ability to see who was actually bringing the affliction against him uh, it was satan who was bringing all the affliction though satan did have the authority by god to do it which is its own interesting study but when you read job's statements he he's always going to god as the source of the problem uh and and he is trying to battle that trying to, why did he lose his his uh, justification while being righteous and, and, and that's something that he has to wrestle with, and, and uh, Elihu um, is going to call him out for that, and I, that's where we can begin to see that Job did have some learning he needed to do, he had to grow in his maturity and his faith, and Elihu says in, I believe it's chapter 34, Verse five, it says, for Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job who drinks scorn like water, who gives in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men? Uh, for he said, I it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. Uh, so Elihu calls out Job for for his Rash words uh, and God will do the exact same thing in chapter 38. It says the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Chapter 41 uh, is it 41. No, chapter 40 um, Job says, well, I can't answer you. <laughs> you know, it's just not possible. And then in chapter 42, he finally says, you know, I did, I did other things that were too, uh, let's see it's right there on the board. I have other, other things what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. He didn't he didn't see the big picture and and that's and that, that's kind of an interesting concept for the entirety of the book of Job. Chapter nine it says God is not a man that he should know what it's like to be a man. Uh, but what's what's fascinating, what's fascinating is that God would become a man to know what it's like. And so Job didn't see the big picture. He didn't know that God had all these things in plan to to take place. And, and so I think Job represents the state of the gospel before Jesus comes. But we have hindsight with Jesus now, and we can see how God's uh, – has woven this beautiful tapestry that he could comprehend what it would be like to be a man and and so job has to accept that he doesn't know everything and he has to just learn to trust in god and that's what he's getting to when he says there in verse six therefore i abhor myself and i repent in dust and ashes sometimes we just have to learn to trust in god uh even though we may not understand everything
2: yeah i get a I get a sense that he learns Hey, I, I was gonna come at, at God with all, my mouth full of questions and and demand that He explain everything to me, but uh, now that I have this experience and I see the awesomeness of God and the uh, and the wisdom that He has that's far greater than I can even understand, And when He asks me questions I can't even answer. I can't even begin to answer them. And so even if I filled my mouth with arguments and came before Him and demanded that He that, that uh, he's too wonderful for me to even understand everything that he might say about these matters. It was, I, I was, I was ahead of myself and far below the dignity of uh, of a person who has a better comprehension of God's greatness. So once you recognize uh, God is far greater than you, you even thought, or you even imagined and you rec- then you repent that you had such a, that your opinion was as low as it was because it needed to be a whole lot higher than that. And I think that's what we're all going to experience is that we imagine the greatness of God, but I, I have no clue just how great he is. And so that computer, time, what time is it in Uganda,
0: yeah. Africa? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Okay. I didn't realize that I was unmuted. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll just stop right there. I apologize for that. I was trying to get some information uh, so that I could share. Uh, some of our viewers are watching from all over the world, and uh, I was just curious as to how late some of them are staying up tonight. Bob, did you have a last comment before we close up? And
5: uh, Yes. I, I, I appreciate the comments of Nick and, and Terry, but another thing I want to bring out is the uh the the uh the time lapse involved between job 2:10 uh and all this job did not sin with his lips and job 42:6 uh, uh repenting dust and ashes the first statement was in regard to this period where he was going through these two tests uh the test of his wealth and the test of his health and in all of that he did not he did not sin in spite of all that had happened to him. But as the debate begins between him and his three quote, friends, unquote, he does begin to justify himself at the expense of God's integrity and and begins to say uh, things like, uh, I am suffering beyond what I ought to suffer, even though one of his friends says, no, you, you ought to be punished even worse than this. But Job was defending himself in this debate at the expense of God's integrity. And that's what he is now repenting of because he's he's heard what God has to say. And he realized how small he is, not only literally, but uh, uh, in importance as well. And that uh, uh, God has a right to do whatever he allows done. And Job just has no right whatsoever to complain about anything.
3: You know, it's a good cr- question, Chris. And I would just have the the person ask the question, look at that verse of chapter 42, you know, and I think your answer is there of uh, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge that God's complaint is you've muddied the water. And, and, and I think along with Bob, maybe an, another way I would say it, Chris, is in. And, and for the person that asked the question to consider it, in Job 23, 2, Job asks, God, where are you? Where are you? When God shows up in chapter 38, and I think it's verse 4, God says, where were you? And I, I'm going to phrase it a little bit different than Bob phrased it. But I, I think the something to consider, I think God says, Job, you didn't defend me. That's the problem I have. You did not defend me. You defended yourself. Those are my thoughts, Chris.
0: Okay. All right. Excellent comments. Yes. We want to be reminded uh, that we are not to speak for God or to assume things about God. And in uh, all of good, uh, Job's goodness, um, he was humble enough. Uh, to see areas where he needed correcting as well. Appreciate that question. That was very interesting. Appreciate the good answers the brethren have given today. We are very out of time, and we thank everybody for kind of hanging in with us. We have up uh, into uh, 32 viewers at this moment uh, watching live. I want to thank you all for joining us there. And as I tried to make mention at the beginning of the program, and again, I apologize to Terry for interrupting him. I didn't realize that most of the time we're muted, and we have to remind each other. This time, I just start blabbing to my. Uh, computer at home and the next thing you know uh, i've interrupted the program but i wanted to find out about some of our brethren we have a brother in india that's watching it's like almost midnight there uh again uh over in africa thank you for watching uh we have somebody way out in new mexico and yes it is a state in the united states i lived there a good portion of my life and i used to get that a lot especially when i moved out east they just couldn't wrap their heads around the fact that I was from New Mexico, <laughs> but that's an interesting conversation. Uh, we have others from South India watching, and uh, so thank you all for joining us. As you do, uh, we have some regular viewers, and the time that you spend wanting to learn about God's Word, giving us questions, and allowing us to answer these things, and being so generous uh, in uh, in your time with us today. And guys, thank you for your time. Uh, the time that you spent with us today in uh, sharing the gospel with us, always appreciated. Uh, maybe we don't thank you enough, but uh, this is time out of your schedule and out of your day. Uh, but we know that you love talking about God's word. And I want to thank uh, A.R.E., Answering Religious Error. And, of course, Brother Brian Garlock, uh, who's not with us regularly on 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 screen, as he does have some secular work going on in the world. And uh, But uh, he's allowed us to carry on and sail the ship, you might say, And uh, thank you for all the work that he does behind the scenes. And uh, so uh, Brian answers your questions. He gets the emails. And so uh, just know that he's still an integral and very important part of this program. Well, once again, we want to thank everybody. And we have a few thanks rolling in now. And so uh, we'll well, we'll just uh, have to end it there. But again, oh, wow, we've got somebody from Oregon. Wow, way out there. Boy, I tell you, there's an area that needs some teaching, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, Thank you for listening. And thank you for uh, for all your generosity and your comments here. All right. We'll wrap things up for everyone today. And guys, we'll see you next week. Uh, we want to remind you again, the live Bible Q&A comes to you every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time. And if you have questions between now and then, please send them to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. Same if you have a meme, send it that to us. We'll look at it and then join me next Tuesday, December 26th, as we talk about the Holy Spirit on our next live Bible study. And that'll be Tuesday at noon, Eastern time. And then, of course, our new series of studies from Ephesians will begin uh, in January 2024. Looking forward to that. Remember to join Brother Mark Dunnigan for the Daily Answer podcast as early as 5 a.m. every Monday through Friday. Bob on Bob's Bible Basics, Monday nights at 8, the older women likewise, Thursday nights at 8 o'clock as well. Once again, we want to thank you all for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on Answering Religious Error.